HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are coming to you today, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn, and we are on the line with Lorraine Lewandrowski. Lorraine, welcome to the program. Oh, hi there. Yeah, I'm up in the Mohawk Valley in Herkimer, New York, calling in. Excellent. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, advocacy in in the food world and and take a look at some rural and urban connections or lack of connections. But before we jump in, let's give folks a little bit of a sense of your background. Lorraine, do you want to take us through um, a little bit of the work you do and give give us a sense of the perspective you're coming to the conversation from? Okay. Well, um, my family's been farming. Uh, we started out in Brooklyn, New York, 100 years ago. Uh, it came to upstate New York, and um, we've been farming here for the past almost a century. Um, I myself have been a farmer for 40 years. Um, for the past 20 years, I have been an attorney as well as being a farmer. Um, and, and in my past work, I've worked on, you know, advocated on different issues, and I've worked on um, solving New York State's solid waste problems. I've served on um, one of the governor's solid waste advisory boards trying to figure out what to do with the state's garbage. I've represented endangered species. But um, the issues that have come to me most since probably about 2009 um, is advocating for farmers, commodity farmers, to food movement people in um, New York City. Um, I've worked almost all of my life as a, an advocate for the, for the average farmer, the average family farmer across the country. Um, but it was really in 2009 that I started to try to talk with urban people um, about what is happening in rural New York and to try to make contact with um, food movement groups in the city. 
Um, so I guess that brings me to your show today. Yeah, now, so we connected a little bit, um, you know, regarding kind of specifically dairy farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just curious, you know, when you say kind of the average farmer, just so folks are really clear about kind of who you mean when you when you say that. Can you give us a sense of what that looks like here in New York? York, We have about 5,400 dairy farms. Um, we uh, the average um, herd size in New York is is relatively small compared to the rest of the nation. We're at about 113 cows is the average size for a farm. If you were to drive around rural New York, um, in comparison, the national average is 187 cows per farm. Um, you know, and of course that depends on the state you're in. For example, the one of the fastest growing dairy states in the nation is New Mexico. The average herd size there, herd size there is 2,300 cows. Wow. So, so you're looking at your typical, you know, what people envision, you know, I think, uh, of, of a, you know, a farm here in rural New York. Um, you know, that's not to say we do have larger farms in the western part of the state. Um, but the area that I'm in, the Mohawk Valley, is even smaller farms. They're very common to see herds of 30 cows, 60 cows, you know, all grazing herds. So, so it really depends on the, on the part of the state. And, um, you know, New York State is, I don't know if many people realize, but we up, upstate, you know, when you get beyond the Hudson River Valley, there are 7 million acres of farmland. Um, so, you know, we have several different, I guess I'd call it bioregions, and the people farm depending on the type of resources that they have. So one of the things I think is is good to clarify for folks, um, in particular about the dairy industry, and I'm hoping maybe you can just kind of paint the picture for us in broad mm-hmm. strokes, is, you know, on a... Uh, on a dairy, on a commodity dairy farm, um, you're essentially producing fluid milk and selling it usually into a co-op system. And uh, I've heard dairy farmers mm-hmm. refer to themselves as uh, price takers, not price makers, which is to yeah, say... Yeah, this is true. It, we don't have much control in setting the milk price. The prices are set by complicated um, dairy formulas through the federal milk marketing order. So, yeah, so we pretty much take what's given to us. Um, and in New York, there is some issue. We are actually the lowest paid farmers in the entire um, northeast and um, for the eastern half of the country. Um, if you look at our pay price, there, there is a, a thing called the milk price map. Um, despite the tremendous demand for our milk, the way the federal rules work, we end up getting the lowest pay. So that's one thing I've been trying to point out to food movement people. But, you know, it's, it's hard to explain these complicated formulas. And sometimes some of the things that some of the food movement people or, say, like some of the celebrity authors, like what my complaint with Mark Bittman um, in his pieces about milk, is he doesn't understand what, what impacts, um, you know, his, his views would be, um, you know, on the average farmer. So um, that was what I tweeted about, you know, when I first made contact with you last month. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, Mark did just put a, uh, put out a book, you know, vegan after six and, you know, he has, um, that, that I think to my sense, uh, in our past conversations was that kind of hit a chord with you. And maybe you can tell us a little bit more about kind of why, um, why yeah, you kind it, of- hit a, it hit a particular note to New York's dairy farmers because, um, in, in New York, about almost 40% of our milk um, goes to fluid milk markets. So that is a beverage. You know, people drinking milk is a beverage. And um, by nature of the, the milk markets, m- our biggest customer is New York City. Um, the way the, f- the federal milk marketing orders work, the pay price 
that we get is totally dependent on the amount of milk that goes into fluid milk. So last summer, Mr. Bittman started off on urging people not to drink milk, saying that it wasn't good. Um, you know, now he's urging people to have no dairy consumption before dinner. Um, you know, basically he could devastate and drive the farmers of rural New York into poverty. You know, we're, we're already losing farms as it is. Um, if, you know, it, it would be fine if um, our pay price was set in some other way, but the way the rules currently operate, and Senator Gillibrand has desperately been trying to change the way the rules work, but for now we're stuck with the rules and we'll probably be stuck with the rules for another five years. Um, our pay price is dictated by the amount of milk that people actually drink. Um, you know, we have other markets that are, uh, that are coming on strong, but we are not paid as much for milk that goes into yogurt, and we're paid even less for milk that goes into cheese. So all of those prices are blended together, and um, under the current scheme, that's how our pay price is derived. So, you know, we've, we've had this situation in New York where, um, you know, we see food movement people, um, in particular celebrity authors, telling, telling the folks don't drink milk or dairy is no good for you, um, and is literally, ha- you know, could hammer us, the small farmers in rural New York. So it's almost, it's very counterproductive, but we don't have any means of communicating with them. If we, you know, we're, we're just farmers out in rural New York. Um, you know, we're not on the scene in New York City um, to talk with groups. Um, we did, a group of us farmers did travel to Just Food on March 29th, and, you know, we tried, we put on a workshop and, and spoke with people. You know, so that was a start, but it's just, it's just real, the, the avenues of communication that could be used are really not being used. So that's, that's one of my major complaints is that I would like to see the urban food movement really reach beyond the people who sell to them at farmers markets and, um, and CSAs that are in close proximity and take a look at the seven million acres of, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, one of my cartographer friends mapped it out for me that there's literally the, the area that the farmers have in rural New York is 37 times larger than New York City. There's a, there's a lot going on on 7 million acres in upstate New York, and we'd like to see a, a better communications here. You know, the means are available. Yeah, no, I mean, I think definitely technological innovation has done nothing if not make it much easier to communicate. And obviously, um, you know, food organizations, um, farm organizations that are uh, based here in the city and and Mark Bittman are are not, you know, coming out kind of against farmers. I mean, and I don't think that's what you're saying. I mean, I think what you're saying is that the issues and the impacts of their statements are more kind of complex and could benefit from having a few more stakeholders kind of at the table to share, you know, really the gray area. Yeah, I would say to have diversity in the food movement. Um, You know, it almost feels like we as commodity farmers have to fight our way into the food movement. Um, You know, when we try to talk, uh, you know, like I've tried to talk with some groups and they go, well, livestock are bad for the environment. Okay, well, how do you know that? You've never been? Have you been on my farm where I have um, threatened species living, where, you know, where we maintain several hundred acres of open habitat that um, as every farm falls in our area, the the lands are subdivided and split up? How, How is that great? So, you know, I, there's a lot of, like, this black and white attitude going on. And, you know, I've, at least, uh, some of my Twitter friends are telling me they want to see more detailed conversation and more, more nuance to all of these discussions. There is no black or white answer, and, and it really varies by the, by the resources of the region. Um, New York right now, we have 3 million acres of abandoned grassland sitting there. Literally, um, there's a report by Cornell called Green, Gra- Green Grass, Green Jobs, uh, Three million acres of land sitting that could be utilized for grazing, for meat production, for dairy. 
Um, but you know, we don't we don't see any push um, uh, for, from food movements to talk about that. Um, you know, perhaps closer to New York City, but it, it's just not reaching the people up here in my area. And you know, and I think that's a shame. Well, one of the things I know for me that was so interesting when I was getting to spend a little time in upstate New York looking at, um, you know, I lived just on the road from a commodity dairy farm. They mm-hmm. they, they milked about 300 head. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we talked a lot about the farm I was working at and other farmers that I spoke with in the area was the importance of the dairy industry in maintaining kind of the farming infrastructure, the veterinary services, the tractor supply stores, the seed stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's kind of one of those gray areas that was a belated glimpse of the obvious to me is like that that just like anything in life, there's a real benefit to a, a diversity of producers. And I wonder if you can maybe expand on that mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, and, you know, it didn't, and again, it depends on the region. Like, say, um, you go up to, to northern New York, the north country up to the Canadian border, you're talking 4,300 farms, a million acres. Um, they are highly dependent on dairy. Um, there are some new new producers coming on trying to do vegetables and things like that, but it's a long, long haul to New York City. Um, and up and down the Mohawk Valley, we see many little rural towns that are that are empty. Their main streets are shut down. The you know what was formerly a feed mill is is closed. The um, little machinery dealerships are gone. Um, I can't even tell you how many ro- little towns I could drive through here in central New York. And as you lose the farmers, and maybe you just have a few l- more larger farms, you lose a lot of this infrastructure and people lose jobs. But that's why cho- the yogurt sector has been so helpful. Um, we, you know, Chobani has generated 1,200 jobs in less than five years. Um, the Faye yogurt plant located, that's where the milk from my farm goes, is um, 20 miles away. Um, I know they've generated several hundred jobs. So... And rural New York, um, if you look at um, the statistics, we've actually been, um, our unemployment rates have been going up. Um, we have increasing rural poverty in some of the counties. Um, and with rural poverty and emptiness, um, people seek a way to make some money. Um, we have fracking companies dangling big money in front of some farmers who can't even afford health insurance anymore. So, so there are many uh, financial dynamics at work upstate as well. So, um, so I guess I just um, totally opposed to this black or white view that one thing is good and, and the other thing is bad without knowing, uh, you know, the factors that we're talking about today, Erin. Sure. And I guess I'm curious how you would respond. I mean, if someone were to say essentially like the the dairy system in New York it, is not working, you know, it it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's time to innovate, it's time to be looking towards something new. I mean, I know farmers, in my experience, are not particularly fond of being on a, the receiving end of a, you know, a charitable, charitable thrust. I mean, what do you yeah. think with regards to kind of, you know... Well, Senator Gillibrand has been trying to change the milk pricing system, and we've been very, very fortunate. Senator Gillibrand's like the first senator who's ever actually come to rural New York and, and met with farmers and, and, and sat down for hours on end. Um, she was here in Herkimer a year ago to let let every farmer speak. There was no like controlled speaking system and trying to get the views. And um, one of the things she's been trying to change is the what they call the end use pricing system, so that um, if fluid milk consumption declines and yogurt increases, that um, farmers could be paid more, not less, um, for the milk. You know, so that's one thing. Um, we have the federal farm bill is under discussion at this point. Um, we're not sure exactly what will happen, but um, we have regions competing in terms of the farm bill. 
Um, and this, this is where I felt kind of badly about the New York City food movement. Um, we just didn't see that much support from the New York City food groups saying to um, the Senate, you know, the state, the Senate or, or Congress that they really want to see our dairy farmers succeed. It's been almost like total silence from the food groups in the city about the commodity farmers. Um, you know, I've spoken with some of them. They said, oh, we're more interested in local food. Okay, well, um, you know, there is, there's a great, great local. There's a wide open, these millions of acres north of you. What, you know, what's your interest in them? And they go, well, we don't, we don't buy commodities. Um, we only, um, you know, we like to get from creameries that are organic or near us or whatever. Um, you know, it's kind of narrow vision. Um, I think New York City people should be aware of something very important to me, and that's food security for the future. Um, I attended uh, Governor Cuomo's yogurt summit last year. Um, this was a whole summit put on by the governor just to talk about the yogurt industry and its economic benefits. And while I was there, I spoke with a, a fellow who, within um, 24 hours after 9-11 hit, um, a task force was assembled to look at New York City's food security. Um, with such a major emergency going on, the, the state officials suddenly found that, geez, you know, what, what if there were more incidents? How long could New York City last without food? Um, you know, we, they found they only have like a three-day supply of food in the city, and the food supply chain, they're getting longer and longer, bringing in food from further, um, controlled by fewer companies. So, so I think that part of the food movement thrust should be to take a look at the food that you have here in your state, take a look at the farms, look at the 7 million acres, see what they can do, and support those people. That's, that's great. I want to take just a, a quick break, and when we come back, I want to talk into a little bit more um, on, on this pricing structure because it's still a little unclear to me, and I think I want to just, t- just, just okay. touch back on that. But hang tight. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thanks. You're listening to Snickers by Obesity on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Keep it locked for more Farm Report. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. 
All right, we are back. You're tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we're on the line with Lorraine Lewandrowski, and we're talking about farming in New York State. Now, Lorraine, one of the things that I think is is still kind of a little confusing to me is, is this mil- the milk pricing structure mm-hmm. for different products. So, and you that's know, confusing to everybody. Okay. Um, it, and it's so and it's confusing to farmers too. I would say you know most farmers and ninety nine percent of the farmers don't understand totally how milk prices are set. It, you know, it derives from a formula. And the, the, the federal milk pricing structure goes back to the Depression era. And um, in New York State in particular, um, probably New York City's first food movement, food advocate was Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia. Um, he intervened during the great milk strikes of the Depression years to try to set up formulas that would, um, or, or structures that would um, ensure that the farmers could survive and ensure that New York City would have a generous, you know, wholesome milk supply coming from rural New York. Um, and the way the price system evolved through the years is that there are different classes of milk. Um, so milk that is sold into a fluid market generates the highest price. Um, you know, that's, they were trying to, to um, reward um, the farmers who are pr- um, processing, you know, sending milk in for fluid. Um, and then the second category is called yo- is yogurt. Um, and then the third category is cheese. And then we have um, milk uh, powder, where they would milk, make milk into powder and then do something with it, kind of um, as a way of getting rid of milk, like in the peak season, like right now when the cows hit the grass. There's sometimes there's too much milk for the market, so they might make it into powder. Um, so all of those prices are blended together, um, and then the farmer gets gets like the blend price in in his or her milk check that comes twice a month. Um, and we're paid 60 days after the milk has left the farm. That's another reason why it's very difficult to negotiate. Your milk is already long gone down the road. Um, so as the, as the percentages of milk change, um, as it's being used in these different categories, fluid milk consumption has seen a substantial decline. You know, people don't drink as much milk as they did. Um, you know, some speculate that it's because there are so many alternatives. Um, you know, people are getting older. They may not drink as much. But, you know, for whatever reason, fluid milk consumption has declined. And the share that, that um, goes into yogurt, which is a, a lower price category, has increased. Um, in New York, in particular, it's been a huge increase. Um, and, then, you know, and the share that's in cheese is uh, fairly stable. So, so the way the market works, um, the structure works, is that the less milk that's sold into fluid, um, the, the, the less the blended price will be, you know, just by averaging all of those figures. So there's a, a market administrator who oversees all of this and, and calculates the figures. They're, they're based in uh, Manhattan. Um, so, so we, um, you know, so Senator Gillibrand had been trying to tr- uh, change the structure. Um, it, it's possible there may be hearings coming on down the road. Um, and that's something that we could, you know, we could really use some help with. Um, another complaint of farmers is that um, the market is highly concentrated, that a few companies control a huge percentage of the milk market, um, say Kraft, um, Dean Foods controls. You can see many, many labels are all bottled under Dean Foods. Um, control, have an inordinate um, perhaps bargaining power, um, you know, when it comes to buying milk from the farmers. Um, so that's another area that farmers have complained about. That it's um, some say it's impossible to get anywhere. You know, we're just a bunch of small farmers trying to deal with a, a global corporation like Kraft. Um, so, so those are two areas that, um, even if food movement people didn't necessarily understand all the the way that the market works, um, it would even be so helpful if they called the the, 
like Senator Gillibrand's office and said, well, you know, maybe we don't understand the federal rules, but one thing we do understand is that we would like to have um, farms here in New York. Um, you know, so so I, I don't know if I've explained, you know, the, the formula. It's, it's kind of tough, but, you know, that's the way it's working out in New York, and, and it's been unfortunate that the price we've received here in New York for for several years now, has been lower. You could you could cross over into Pennsylvania, and you'll be the farmers are paid more. Um, you go into New England, they're paid far more than we are. Um, and and we in New York are in a high cost state. We have high land taxes. The cost of our workers' compensation is quite high. You know, our insurances, electricity. You know, we've we've got a lot of high cost going on. So that's why we've been seeing losses of farmers in rural New York, um, particularly the the smaller and mid sized farms. Um, we're seeing dairy production being concentrated into fewer areas. Um, there was a, a nice article in one of the farm magazines the other day calling it Cow Islands, where we're seeing more and more um, farms, uh, dairy farms um, and large, larger farms um, in western New York, where in the Finger Lakes area, where they have huge, wide-open flatlands, and we're seeing an abandonment of um, some of the smaller, like the grazing farms. So the food movement has sat pretty much in silence while this is going on. Um, you know, and and um, I guess that's one reason I wanted to be on the radio was to say that you know you really the farmers and the food movement people have a lot in common. They're both seeking a good food system, and they should be talking to each other. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I and, and I wonder if we can talk a little bit. So you know, it seems like we have this idea that that there's kind of the two options out there. On one hand. There's the, you know, small scale, uh, organic, um, you know, farmer who, who milks and, and bottles has a creamery on, on their property. And, and there's really just a handful of those. Yeah, it's so expensive. The equipment is preposterously expensive. Um, you know, even having your own artisan cheese plant, it's no, no cheap proposition. It requires, you know, maybe 100,000 plus in the equipment. In the equipment. Not so, to mention super education. You really need to know what you're doing these days. It's foolhardy to try to do this unless you've um, gotten a good education of some sort. Right. So that requires, so that you have that on one side, which requires a huge investment of capital and technical expertise. It's not mm-hmm. a place that anyone's really going to start. Um, and then on the opposite end, you have the commodity system where, Essentially, am, am I understanding you correctly that if you're, you know, if you're producing um, milk in New York State and you decide, let's say you, you know, you're selling into one co-op, I mean, what are what are your options as a farmer if you want to stop and sell into somewhere else, or you want to transition to some alternative um, source to put your milk to, to sell your milk? I mean. Are there, what, what does that landscape well, it, it, look like? It depends like? on the area. Like, in, like, say, in my area, we have a choice of several co-ops we can belong to. Um, you know, I personally choose to belong to a small co-op where we have some degree of input. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, there are some very large co-ops. Um, if we were to try to bottle our own milk, um, you know, that would require a lot of money. Um, you know, I've been helping out at, at, a, at Three Village Cheeses, an artisan cheese plant in my town. You know, I've been... Um, helping and and I've got my cheese making certificate and things like that. But it's just even that process itself is so expensive. I don't. I see farmers giving up their health insurance. Um, you know, as an attorney, I deal every day with farmers who have medical judgments against them because they had no health insurance and they had the heart attack or their appendix removed. Um, you know, I see farmers selling pieces of land all around me. I see there are beautiful little cow pastures for sale. The farmers are trying to raise money because the school tax bills will be out in September. 
Um, you know, so, so I'm seeing reality out here. Um, and I guess I'll say it, I just see the urban, some of the urban food movement spending too much time venerating celebrity chefs when they should be talking to the average person. So on that note, you know, we're, we're just about out of time, but, but let's talk about some kind of potential strategies moving forward. I mean, if you had a, a, a magic wand, you know, <laughs> what, what would kind of that, that communication chain look like? Um, what would the organizations involved be? Who would the players be? What would some of the kind of next steps towards building that um, network? Well, we had um, we a, a group of us ordinary farmers spoke at Just Food. This is the first time um, we traveled to the city. Um, we tried to talk with some other food groups. Um, you know, and I'm going to try to email them again. You know, and see if they would try to talk with some of us farmers. I know the farm organizations, um, some of them do speak with some of the food groups on occasion, um, but I would like some of the food groups like, say, Slow Food or Brooklyn Food Coalition to, you know, maybe maybe tweet with us. I mean, that's a very easy way to communicate. Um, you know, talk with some of the, the mainstream farm groups. Um, in, in the Northeast, we have um, Farm Bureau. We have New England Farmers Union. Um, New England Farmers Union just opened their doors to urban farmers. Um, they're trying to, you know, increase the dialogue through that route because, um, you know, the urban farmers are the first farmers to know what it's like to be a farmer. Um, you know, we have uh, Facebook. We have, um, you know, we, we had groups invite us to come back to the city. Um, NYU Food Day invited a farmer to speak at, um, their, um, in November 2012. So, so we're seeing the doors open. And Heritage Radio has been really um, pivotal. I think um, after I was on Ann Saxelby's show during the Occupy movement, and I got a lot of positive feedback. You know, and I think the farmers need to see that, that people want to talk with them. Um, I, when, uh, when we came back from New York City and we said that we had been in the city, um, we were at a dairy banquet, we got a standing ovation. So, I, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> Good. Well, and, and I, I think, you know, part of opening that dialogue is, is having more conversations like this and, and bringing more people to the table to start exploring some of these really important and, quite frankly, really pressing issues. So I really want to thank you for your time and your expertise. I think you did an amazing job really kind of laying out mm-hmm. some of the really challenging aspects of shaping the food system for you know, the next generation. and, and I... Yeah, thanks, Aaron. And, you know, and I appreciate you tweeting to me because sometimes I tweet to food movement people and, and they just ignore me. But I really, I, I'm on Twitter, NY Farmer, if anybody would like to tweet. It's so easy. Um, you know, so I really appreciate it. Great, great. Well, we hope to have you back soon and we'll definitely be following this conversation uh, on the network for the weeks and months and, you know, years to come. Thank you so much. Oh, Aaron, thank you. So this, like all 30 of our live weekly shows, are available for free as a download. Um, You can visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. We are wrapping up our membership month, so please uh, click that Donate tab, become a member today. We're so close to this month's goal. It'd be great to have your support right now. Uh, It is critical to keeping on the station going and bringing you the great programs week after week. You can also find us on iTunes. Check us out on Stitcher Smart Radio. Of course, follow us on your favorite social media platform. You can see us at Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever uh, wherever you are. We want to be there, too. So tune in and uh, keep on listening. Thanks so much.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right. Thanks for tuning into the Grow NYC Market Update. This week, we're taking a trip out to Queens. Great. Hey, Erin. Yeah, we're going to go out to our Forest Hills location, located right on Queens Boulevard at 70th Street. Um, the market just reopened for its second season, but when it began last July, it was like no marketing market opening I had ever seen. It was absolute gangbusters. This area of Queens is particularly beautiful. The community is very tight-knit. For about three years before we arrived, we received petitions and requests for opening a green market, but in that time we had yet to find the right spot. So finally we found a great location last year right in front of the Forest Hills Post Office, and opening day brought tons of customers who remained so loyal to the market that we opened early in April. I mean, we tend to open markets and give it a few weeks and get customer support, but this one was like opening day, the customers were there and ready. That's awesome. So as it's a new market, I mean, what can we expect uh, as far as products and, and farmers? Yeah, the market's jam-packed with incredible producers. Um, we have some specialty ethnic produce like Callaloo and Papiche from Amante Farm. Bread Alone and Las Delicias bring baked goods and pastries made with local grown flour and produce. Red Jacket Orchards, of course, with their juices and orchard fruit because cherries are really not far away now. Um, Long Island Seafood and Animal Welfare-approved pork, lamb, poultry, and eggs from BNY Farm, Andrew's Local Honey, Long Island Produce, and what you don't typically find at most markets, two dairies. So we have Ronnie Brook, who everybody knows, and Good Ale. So Good Ale Farms is a dairy from the east end of Long Island. And when I visited the market last weekend, their stand was packed with customers picking up a wide variety of chev. I got plain because I'm a purist, <laughs> but the other flavors look delicious. Um, they also sell prepared horseradish by the clamshell, so it's a lot and I, I've never seen that on a, um, I've seen it raw on farmer's stands before, but never prepared. So I thought that was an awesome product to see. And the flavor was so much better than prepared horseradish from this store. So also, I don't want to forget to mention that much to the immense happiness of Forest Hills customers, Build It Green Compost will be starting food scrap collections this Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. So customers can drop off their kitchen scraps every week after that. Nice. Well, you know, I know Forest Hills, there's a lot going on out of that neighborhood. What do you guys recommend in particular folks check out if they're making the trek out to visit the market? Yeah, the, the neighborhood's well known for its beautiful architecture, Tudor-style homes, and flourishing gardens. So just cruising around is really nice and makes you feel like you're traveling through old Europe. Food-wise, this neighborhood covers the map in true queen style. French bakeries, Cuban sandwiches, Lebanese, wafas for shish tawuk and lamb shawarma, Middle Eastern and Japanese grocery stores. I could go on all day. Basically, if you want to adventure into the outer boroughs for some incredible food, head directly to Forest Hills. That is awesome. You're making me hungry. Um, well, Liz, I know that there's a lot going on. You know, it's a busy time at market. You've got some new shops opening, some events. What should we be looking for uh, in the next week? 
Well, I want to give a shout-out to strawberries. They're in abundance right now, and sweet peas showed up this week also. Peonies, they're my favorite flower, so I want to mention them. They're here for such a short period of time. Be sure to pick some up. Um, market openings this, this Saturday, we have Sunnyside and Socrates opening in Queens, Bay Ridge opening in Brooklyn. Um, next Tuesday, Fort Washington, Bronxboro Hall, and Elmhurst all open, and we're starting compost collection at Fort Washington and Bronxboro Hall for the first time this year. So that'll all be happening next Tuesday. Um, Union Square, this weekend we have Louisa Shafia there. A lot of people know Louisa. She runs a nice catering company, and her book is um, New Parisian Cooking, so she'll be out at Union Square. And then next weekend on the 8th, we're going to have Batali brothers and dad. So the um, Mario Batali's sons are young, like 14 and 16, and for their dad's 50th birthday, they put out a cookbook for him. Um, so they're <laughs> going to be at market selling their cookbook, and Mario will be there selling some of his books also. Um, also this Saturday, we have 82nd Street Green Market. Chef AJ Black from Il Tesoro will be making fresh pasta and a seasonal sauce. Next Saturday um, at Grand Army Plaza, we have our shortcake, um, strawberry shortcake eating contest. So we're trying to get all the dads out to ramp up for um, Father's Day and get everybody excited. The categories for winning are fastest, messiest, and cleanest. So even if you're not participating, it's really fun to watch. <laughs> um, also, starting at Film Forum on June 12th is a documentary about bees and colony collapse disorder. And the next day, June 13th, Hunter College for their um, – their food policy for breakfast series, which I love. I've been to a couple already, and they're great. They're going to do their, um, that morning will be about bees, and the director and writer for the film will be there. So you can, June 12th and 13th, learn as much as you possibly could ever know about bees at both of those events. Oh, man. Pasta, honey, shortcake, Mario <laughs> Batale. I mean, those kids are making me feel bad about what I gave my dad for his 50th. I know, right? <laughs> well, it's summer, so these, the list is going to keep going. That's awesome. Well, Liz, thanks for taking some time out to give us the update. Really appreciate you checking in. Great. Thanks, Aaron. To find out more about what's happening at the Grow NYC markets, definitely visit them, www.grownyc.org. There you can find information on more cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, and everything that's happening at your weekly neighborhood green market. You can also stay up to date in the moment by following them on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, uh, Instagram, whatever your pleasure is. Check them out and definitely stay tuned in next week for another Grow NYC market update. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.